And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Caleb, welcome to the podcast. Paul's first time on the podcast. First time? Uh, what a surprise. First time on the podcast actually being shown. <laughs> What's that? I like uh, for my situation. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and Caleb's technical first, which is really bad. Uh, so we actually had Caleb on the podcast and it was going well. And uh, it was a really good podcast. So much fun. Like a really good podcast. And I went to save it and my computer's out of storage and then it didn't save. So we missed it. But... You're back. Welcome Indeed. back. Welcome. Uh, a wonderful outfit, by the way. Thank you. So, Bill and Ted's Wonderful Adventure, <laughs> but the honors edition, well, and it was Leb and... Adventure. Most excellent adventure, yeah. yeah. Leb and... What was uh, Jared's? So, as uh, Jared Johnson, it's uh, JJ, and then Leb for Caleb. <laughs> so, he's, uh, he's like, it's like, I'm Jared J. Johnson, Baron, because for some reason, like, he says like, what he's associated with, where he's from, like, in the movie, and then... For me, it was just like, I'm Caleb Col- or Leb Calabas Ryder. <laughs> so, nice. And I was in it as well. Yeah. So the <laughs> as official parody title is uh, JJ and Leb's uh, Medieval Adventure. Nice. <laughs> medieval Adventure. So wild stuff. <laughs> and you guys invited me to be Aquinas, which yes. was really interesting. So much fun. Yeah. Could have asked okay. for someone better. Yeah, that's true. You could have. <laughs> <laughs> I said couldn't have. Oh, couldn't have. Oh, thanks. Much it's a appreciate it. Yeah, got it. But you said could have. No, no. Now, on no. the first day with my costume, it was definitely could have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we're in the first set. day, they were like, "Oh yeah, we're going to BD Park to uh, film some, you know, stuff. Like we need Aquinas in these." And I was like, "Okay, cool, I'll come." And we start going, and they're like, "Oh, we don't have a costume for you." And I was like, "Okay, I guess I'll have to get a costume." And we went to Walmart, and we were looking for tablecloths. And um, Cami like found one. She was like, "Oh, I have a tablecloth," and I was like, "Sweet." So we checked out. And we get there and I pull it out and it's like one of those tablecloths that you have for like a kid's party. Yeah. (laughs) That's basically a garbage bag. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, oh no. (laughs) So we cut it out. And uh, yeah, I was garbage bag bag Aquinas. Oh man. I felt like I was insulting all Thomas. Yeah. I was insulting all the Thomas in the world all at once. Oh man. It was really bad. But you Uh, said you had Francis in there, right? Yeah, but I mean, costume. Did you get to do that? Aquinas V two costume definitely was pretty good. That's right. So the next day in your your podcast. Oh yeah, no, the next one was good. uh, But yeah, no, we did have uh, Francis. Fortunately, there happened to be just like a straight up Francis, like alb type deal. I mean, just perfect. Like in the in the Gov Lounge, like it was just there. Oh nice. So uh, yeah, so we got Francis or Francesca to wear that. Um, Nice fitting man. I cannot wait to actually. Yeah, I'm so excited. That scene is so funny where he just. (laughs) <laughs> you know how he'd refer to his body's brother ass so oh, <laughs> it's like yeah, so yeah. when he's you know like mentions we're you know we're looking for it's like it, we tried to make it like bill and ted or or jj and love are sort of kind of like grown in virtue a little bit you know as they're going on the journey and at first you know they they go to like some uh some medieval babes but um you know they kind of don't pay attention and they're really just like anchorites and uh, you know, Dante's like our guide, <laughs> which, you know, I, the iron shout out to that. Wyatt. You know, Best it, Dante it, ever. It, it, exactly. And so he's like, you know, they're consecrated. And it's like, oh, you know, and um, <laughs> but so but then we're still kind of like, oh, well, you know, marriage is still a vocation. So like, you know, do you know where any virtuous babes are? 
you know, like Francis, you know, like kind of outline. <laughs> and then Francis <laughs> is like, <gasps> you know, and then like, don't I believe him? So, you know, just like beautiful women. And then, you know, he runs to the river and just like, take this brother ass and then jumps in the water. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just because of Chesco right, jumping in would, the water right there. You know, do penance by jumping in like ice cold water. So it was quite fitting. Was so <laughs> I, I can't wait, I'm dude. So excited. We're watching it on Thursday, right? Yeah. In like the Gentile Gallery? Uh, Yes. Hoping. We're Ho- hopefully, we'll. Uh, I'll still. I'll double check with that. If not, um, I think David Willie graciously offered, maybe at his place. Oh, nice. Um, David Will. David Willie. Wait, who again? Sorry. Who? Yeah. Who yeah. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I like cool. his house or something. Just I'll go watch it. Got it. Oh. Oh. The lad's house. Yeah, they're at, they're editing it right now. So. Or in oh, Jay awesome. Sarah, since has those massive TVs. That's right. It does. Be fun. So. I'm gonna. Yeah, you guys are all going to Austria, man. That's wild. Congrats. Yeah. Exciting. It's going to be a blast. super exciting. Yeah. Do you think things are going to let up in the summer much? Uh, with COVID? Yeah. Mm, nope. Well, in, in some senses, maybe. Like Ohio specifically, I don't really think so. Like, it's not like Texas or Florida. And it's just going to. Um, and I think institutions, one way or another, um, right? In, in Texas, you actually see it, it's polarized all the more. Surprisingly, you know, it's be like, oh, Texas, like it's great. Um, no, it's actually just gotten worse in some in some sense. There, it's like in in other sense, of course, all the uh, the businesses that were essentially abiding by the law for the sake of their, you know, just covering their own butt. Right. Um, they, of course, they you know opened up, but the other places, it's like, no, you're gonna wear a mask anyway. If you come here, like now, it's like having to the enforcement of it is really contingent on like their personal engagement, like with the customers. So, uh, it. You know, my mom was telling me it's like it's worse in some places where it's just like, fine, you're not getting my business. Um, and so it's kind of sad that even in the uh, at this point, I would call it like sanctuary states uh, <laughs> right, in, yeah. a, in a different sense. Um, even those it's like not not great. So, yeah, I, I think you guys are still going to have a blast no matter what the yeah, regulations. Are I, I think I think they're good. I really hope they don't. Well, we'll get the vaccine thing, right? Yeah. Um. Are they still requiring that? Is that no? Current? I mean, I I've checked. Um, you know, there keeps being uh, like circulating. Oh, the air. I, the real issue is the airlines themselves, right? If they're able to require it, right? It's like oh, for the safety of the pilot. Like it's when you look at the EU's <laughs> website, it shows like all the countries with the exception of one, and basically all of them. Because you know, it's surprising to see them care at all. But like, consider the issue of oh, like, oh well, discrimination between those who have the vaccine and those who don't, and so they've actually considered people who you just have had COVID previously. So I think that would probably be something like a antibody or T cell like test, which I was surprised at the fact that they considered that at all. Um, but then again, that's just for, so like that, the vaccine or just getting tested before you go from country to country. Um, which again, it's like, I don't, I don't even trust the test that much, you know, right. but, um, the, uh, yeah, the, the air, but then it was like, Oh, well the airlines themselves for the safety of the pilots, you know, may, may require it. And, that in the same way you have private institutions getting away with a lot just because they're um i don't think people are really the at least the law um both uh like especially in europe and other places and you know you see it even here in america depending on what state like i don't think the law is especially concerned with the private institutions like enforcing things like that right so we'll see we'll see um i mean i was talking to the like megan bowen like who's in charge of it all right now and she acted like, yeah, you just have to uh, come in with a negative test, like 72 hours within or with 48 hours within if you do a, uh, a different type of test. I forgot. 
But and then just wear like a can ninety five mask on the flight. But we'll see. I sure as hell hope. You know, it's kind of like leave it all up to the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. sorry, man. What if you guys did a honors project in Austria <laughs> this next time? Well, I mean, as fun as that would be, uh, it, you know, it was, a, it was just Dr. Georgitas and like her like option. Although we have we have talked just because we had so much fun doing this project of just maybe writing something during the summer, just have something else like, mm-hmm. and then actually be able to. Just going into a semester, be able to do fun stuff with it, and and just I mean, you have it, such a, a cool location. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Even wow. just uh, for for this film, just the, it, like all the little areas, like yeah, BD Park, just kind of the stone structures and the things we were able to put together for, like it, it just turned out great. Like, like I was super fun. impressed with you guys. Like, I, I you guys, <laughs> it went very above and beyond, and it was yeah. Really cool. I mean, it was pretty happy to see me and me and Jared when we were repeatedly staying up to like three a.m. working on that script. And I was glad like we kind of had a lot of creative control just because like we're playing those characters and a lot of it's like totally contingent on how those characters are, you know, like just responding to those situations sure, and yeah. like acting with those characters and almost everything we really imagined, like just writing the script, like we were able to get done, like, which I, so I'm, I'm super excited to see like, it's always a great feeling when you write stuff down and it actually gets implemented. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it <laughs> it's like, wow, this it. pretty much went exactly the way. I plan, and then, like, it, like you can almost say that ninety nine percent of the time you can almost never say that. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, um, and even just the like the ending scene, right? We we didn't really have like the details of that planned out, but just all the little things we figured out to do while we we're like, you know, presenting. So, so much fun. It just worked out perfect. For all you guys watching and the people listening, it'll probably be up on Maria Salmon's YouTube page. That's yeah. where you had the last one. So if you type in Maria Salmon's. What was it going to be called? I have um, no idea. JJ and Lebs. JJ and Lebs. Most medieval adventure. <laughs> Most medieval adventure. Yeah. It should be there. Um, yeah. If anything, be be excited. Next, it's it's really good. Just put a link to it. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just do maybe I just live stream the uh, the showing of it, you know, <laughs> and just our reactions and stuff. I could do that. That'd be really fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, should do just that. have it in the background and why not? We'd all be like, oh, let's go. Yeah, and then just even Elijah working on the special effects. I. It, it's it's just so exciting to see it because you know wait, and I I definitely imagine like okay take a still shot an easy way to have something like time traveling right we just use the car but take a still shot of an area have the car you know film it coming in and you just cut it to where it looks like the car just like you know voila pops in space but he he really went all out and like added like the blue lightning effects and they're just like you know zooming in mm-hmm. so it's it's so, <laughs> it's gonna be great yeah. and even just the whole. We're, we're hyping effort. it. If if he like botches it somehow, but still, I think it's gonna be. But baller. just even all the um, accidental factors we had to, to go through, such as like talking to the corporate manager, like sheets. Oh, dude, you got to you got to tell the story about yeah, Tesco. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was wild. We were um, so g- going to the sheets. Well, originally we wanted to go to Circle K because there's an, a Circle K in the film, and. They, they come out of Circle K and they have snacks and they're just like, you, know, you can tell they're kind of like procrastinating on a study or they don't know what to study. And someone's like walking in. They're like, do you know when the Mongols ruled China? And, you know, the person's like, I don't know. <laughs> and that's when um, like Rufus, the guy from the future, comes in with that. And they're like, strange things are happening at the Circle K. Um, but <laughs> and so we want to oh, like, shoot, there's literally a Circle K yeah. right here. But. Definitely going down to it. It just looks like there's like straight up meth addicts, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, right outside. Yeah. We're like, uh, yeah. yeah, that's not safe. Sort of so I just went to to the sheets, which thankfully could still make um some sort of like comment. We just like sheets going down, dude. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, but you know, we're setting up like a 
professional camera like right outside you know that we got from the comm comms department and obviously people are walking in and like you know what the hell are these kids doing out here like you know guy dressed like an 80s and other dude you know just what's going on and so and like a full-fledged camera too you guys yeah, had a yeah exactly camera, so we're just yeah. setting up and people are like what, what the hell are they doing and then so the manager comes out and basically starts out like yeah i'm sorry but you know you can't feel you're gonna have to leave and then chesco i mean just totally like off the back of his head he, j- he just did something for like some kind of feature writing class in com arts it's where he just had like memorized all of it. Well, actually under copyright laws, if it's for use for academic purposes and just like totally like nails the dude and just like, oh, okay. You know, the manager just goes back inside. We're like, sweet. Like, thanks, Jessica. You're, I mean, we like to, <laughs> Mad when, lad. When, when he has these uh, just moments of absolute genius, both in like in honors discussions, you know, when he's, the times when he's not falling asleep and then <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I know what you're talking out. about. Yeah. And then he wakes up and it's like, <laughs> one moment we just like all stared at him and then he woke up he's like super embarrassed but he he, he will we will call him the demigod and we even like photoshopped his face like on this one of the like greek gods like it's just great um but so we're like oh that's, that was a total demigod moment chesco you know and but then the manager yeah comes back out and basically like here you need to talk to my so it's probably like a regional manager or something and um you know chesco is like on the phone for like 10 minutes and he gives it back to the guy and then he gives it back to him again. And he's still talking. And it's funny, before the whole situation was even resolved, like this truck came and kind of parked like somewhat near. And the manager was like, you want me to go tell him to move? And we're like, sure. <laughs> yeah, I was like, nice. already asking him to like move it's out of the way. for academic purposes. Start yeah, moving. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so Chesco literally had to, you know, it's like, well, what's the content of the film? Because obviously, you know, like what, what's going to be in it if it is going to show, even if it's for academic purposes, like is it, you know, children friendly or like whatever. And, you know, he's having to like go through the plot. <laughs> it's like describing like, whoa. It's and then crazy. we get to the medieval babes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, he said, repeat, uh, by the way, it's for academic purposes. By the way, it's for academic purposes. Just to like remind, oh yeah, by the way, for academic purposes, just despite like the crazy, this whole uh, scenario of the, of the thing in the first place. But as I was just so funny and they're like, oh yeah, you have an hour to film or like, sweet and then we actually got it all done in an hour and i mean at that point it looked like they really cared anyway i just went went in to thank the manager afterwards just like you know thanks and it, it, yeah it was fun it was good it's great sounds like a ball <laughs> <That's red. legit. laughs> so much fun <laughs> or even even we were at like bd park and this uh this old dude comes and he sees us and you know he's nice talking to him he's like oh yeah it's like i thought y'all were part of this like reading club or what basically they'd like walk through the part and different sections of the park were going to be like stations of like the story so to speak and so we're like walking back to go film the Beowulf scene <laughs> and just like have a bunch of old ladies <laughs> like above their 60s like in the 60s and over probably and they're all just looking at us like what, <laughs> like, the, what the heck are these yeah. guys doing? <laughs> you know we're was that like, the reading oh, group like, oh. yeah I, and that's i think it was so oh, oh, okay so that's funny true. um but yeah i know the whole process has been i love that second day where i was we were filming together and um, we we had to do a library scene. Mm. And so it was me dressed up as Aquinas, like legit Aquinas, so not Walmart Aquinas. So funny. Him and Jared, Bill and Ted, or JJ and Leb, and uh, the historical babes, Cammy and um, who else? Well, that point, at that point, so in the store, we go to historical babes. They just like ignore us. And then we have, a, but then we go and get Julian and Norwich, right? No. So, oh, yeah. Bridges so, well, yeah, yeah. So it was you as Aquinas, Jessica as Francis. Yeah, me and JJ and Leb, and then uh, Julian Norwich and Beowulf. And, you know, like Matt, he just has this, you know, we went to Goodwill, and it's just like this old-looking carpet that actually looked great. Like, actually, 
looked Ugh. great for, but just wrapped around his chest. You know, he doesn't not wearing a shirt under it, so you could just see like the kind of bare size. Like looks, it looks pretty great, but. Right, we're just walking, walking, and down. then we just walk into the library, the library. as and all these people are studying for finals, finals. <laughs> and they just look up and they're like, "What the?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and we walk through and we just like and just go to the back room where there, yeah, people are like, you, know, you can like, tell they're the book sale, yeah, oh yeah, because we're yeah. gonna film it in there, and okay. then we have like just some scenes of like me and Francis argue over a book, and then he throws it out of my hands and stuff, and yeah. just stupid. So stuff. because in in the film when they get all the historical figures and they go back to the present, basically like the, he asks his mom like for a ride and she's like, not until you get your chores done. So there's just this whole like montage scene of all like, you know, Beethoven, Socrates. I'm sorry. It's been embedded in my mind because of the movie, but Socrates. Socrates. Yeah. Socrates. <laughs> well, it's funny because initially Bill refers to him as Socrates, but then uh, like Ted's going through the, the book is like, oh, it's under Socrates. It's like, and it just goes with that for the rest of the film. Nice. But it just, yeah, so this whole montage scene of just the whole house being clean, right, from the historical figures. So for us, we just did a, a study, like, montage. So that's what we're going to do. And so just, yeah, stuff like that. Them, you know, fighting over the book. Um, Julian, uh, it was great. Like, one scene with uh, Bridget as Julian, like, she was carrying all these books and, like, they all just, like, you know, fell out of her, like, as I kind of, you know, like went to help her and it just all fell anyway. Change, but, um, but even yeah. just those dudes, like right when we were walking down the stairs and they were just like laughing at us. Oh, <laughs> dude, you yeah. See that? Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I was, I was kind of like, like, shut like, up, guys. Yeah, I was like, shut up. It was like, know, it was like one. two freshmen who were like, <laughs> yeah, like I couldn't tell the if they were serious like, or uh, not. So at first it was like, shut up. But then two, I was like, haha, you know, like joking with them after. But I mean, it's like, can you not see that we're, we're trying to get something done as ridiculous as it looks, you know? No, right. <laughs> you know, like setting up a camera. Anything, okay, so. we have nice. Cool, we're still live. Twitch viewers, drop us something in chat. Paul is now watching the chat. We have uh, five thousand viewers uh, on Twitch currently. Pretty amazing. This is right a now. subathon right now. <laughs> what was that? We have one right now. Oh, awesome! Let's go. go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, we have to talk about Wyatt. Dissing Dr. Harwood oh, for three minutes no, straight. I didn't hear about this. I mean, I heard about it, but I didn't hear what actually happened. I cannot watch that video and not literally lose. I, I want to see it breathe. in like the nice video quality. I'm ready to see it in the nice Dude, video quality. Okay, so why apparently, or maybe I should let uh, Lev no, tell the story, well, but apparently, first, so. you were there, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I wasn't there for the diss. I wish oh. I was there for the diss. Oh, did you leave? Uh, no, I just wasn't there. That wasn't oh, the scene I was right. doing. That's crazy. Anyways. Uh, so Wyatt and Harwood have beef because apparently Harwood told him one time that he has to get serious about honors and, <laughs> and that he can't just be a slacking student. And he took it really personally. Wyatt, Wyatt did. did. And so he's just waiting for his time to take down Harwood. And he's like, I hate that guy. <laughs> like Harwood? And Harwood's just the nicest man ever. You he know? is. And uh, Wyatt made it his, his one thing. To uh, to take down the teddy bear, uh, good old oh, no. Doctor Theodore, and uh, <laughs> so he found a copy pasta online of like a super diss. Oh, it was. I mean, it was like intense diss. If you can find it, it's it's online. Anyways, it's a ridiculous. That was a summarized pasta. version. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. Did you just like memorize it? Yeah, it's like you know I. I regret being of the same species of you. Like, you know, like all this, like, it <laughs> just like, goes you're, off. You're ignor Don't you know you're stupid? Or like, no, you're ignoramus. Like, or so no. 
no, yeah. Like, I was like, that's a poor right there. It's like, don't you know you're an imbecile? Hey, end of the semester, buddy. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. It's like, don't you know you're an imbecile? Like, my favorite line is like, you're, you're on a good day, you're a half wit. <laughs> nope. And then oh, man. It, it dives into this whole like cosmological explanation of stupid. And then somehow, like, Dr. Hart was the most like, Extreme form of stupid. I I can't remember oh, it specifically. Wonderful. Just because the did, audio did on my phone. Dr. Harwood know that he was. So so Dr. Harwood, you know, he was kind of at first. You could tell he's like he's like oh you know like yawning or whatever like haha you know funny. But then like, as it continued, like you know for a whole two minutes, you could tell it was a little more like concerned look. And ultimately, it's like whatever for us. It was just B roll footage anyway that we just wanted. Like we weren't actually putting it in the film, but. Then, apparently later, he emails Maria and Jared, okay, please delete that footage. <laughs> like, just, so I don't know if he's just like, what exactly he's worried about. He just didn't want to end the footage or wanted to have, I want to end the film or have the footage, period. But <laughs> it made him uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I can understand. I well, mean, yeah. it, it is, it, it was intense too. And Wyatt had it memorized. He no, wasn't he reading it. He, no, he, he was reading it. Oh, he was reading it. Yeah, oh, he was man, reading, I thought yeah. he memorized. No, but, Anyways, but still, but still, his delivery was like, just straightforward. So, it was just so good. Like, mon- but you know, you know why it is. It's just like he's saying something. Like, he's just so funny. He's funny, but just like so still, like so serious. And so the delivery was just. I was dying. I couldn't breathe. I'm always I, laughing around so why I do that guy. Yeah. Anyways, shout out to him. He's already home. Crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny. Um, when he left. Oh, so there was one night where he memorized the entire like dialogue of the intro to the first episode of daredevil where he's like goes into the confessional and he's like you know father please forgive me and like this whole thing like when he's talking about his dad he's like he was a fighter like 25 whatever like <laughs> uh, but you know he know how to took a hit like he memorized the whole thing and like there's one night we we're just studying in one of the j sarah classroom lunch and like he's we're just he's just writing out the whole thing like on the <laughs> Like on the board, it just hasn't memorized. Like even while we were filming, when we'd screw up and he like forget his lines, he would just start start saying that. And it was really he also you know like the, the stupid Joker. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, Jared Leto, but worst Joker. You know, and Suicide Squad has like the damage tattooed across his forehead. So like, he literally wrote that on his own forehead and like the like just red expo marker. Just has, like, oh, a, I've seen this picture. Yeah, a while, I see the yeah. picture, and it's so funny. Some put a meme. Uh, since he left, um, uh, you know, a day ago. And it's like Spider-Man from uh, the second one, Far From One. He's like, everywhere I go, I see his face. And it's just that picture of Wyatt <laughs> as the Joker. <laughs> it's so funny. But, um, yeah, yeah, that man is, he's brought so much life. Great cast. I, I hope you guys do another one. Well, yeah. I'm excited for this watch party, too. This is going to be, that's that's what I'm really looking forward to. be hard to top this, just because, like, Bill and Ted is literally a, perfect opportunity to do a parody yeah being the whole premise to like pass a class final you know so oh, yeah just, right right it just it works out really well yeah. so how caleb and i met originally trad stuff <laughs> actually that was an interesting was it really? fall i think so i mean yeah. i definitely remember no no, no like, maybe oh, it was very really, yeah, very toss and you were just like super cool and personal like hey, and just you as well, well. um but we we did go to the. Did you, you went to the Catholic Identity Conference with me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I've already seen you there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, we went as a group because it was yep. me and you and Carissa and yeah. Jacob and some other people that are still kind of around. Yeah, I know exactly. Was that a, Was that at Most Precious Blood? 
Yeah, so, it was. So they had a pontifical solemn high mass with Bishop Amazing. Athanasius oh, Schneider, which was incredible. Thing. Absolutely incredible. That's awesome. At Precious Blood. And then, yeah, it took place at just this um, kind of like ballroom area in a, in a ho- nearby hotel. And That's yeah, it cool. had all the likes from uh, priests from Institute of the Good Shepherd, which is not the FSSP, but also not the SSPX. It's almost like the exact same formation as SSPX, which is interesting, but they, well, it's very interesting because the canonical status, uh, basically the priest was telling me any years later, or like some more pontificum, right? Essentially put uh, both forms of the mass on the same level. As in like, oh, they're just two expressions of the same Roman rite. Um, the Institute of the, uh, Christ of Good Shepherd priest said, like he just straight up told me, he's like, yeah, if it, it was established in 2006, a previous like SSPX priest or superior that was like, no, you know, I want to be, kind of have canonical status basically, right? And um, started started that. And he's like, yeah, no, part of our whole deal is that, you know, no sordo is on, like, it's got issues, right? And he's like, not a criticism, but a legitimate critique. And that they put on like whole seminars and conferences for priests, like about Vatican II, like in, in Europe and all these places. I believe it's uh, primarily a French uh, order. And yeah, just straight up, like, yeah, the new mass is like inferior. It's basically their, um, and they believe that follows or their mission to address like the issues with it, which you know, I think are legitimate. Like, I think, you know, you look at Pope Ben in the 16th and it's like, yeah, there's a clear kind of acknowledgement, I think. Of like reform of their form, right? Their issues. I mean, even right. even if you're not reform of their form, well, well, no, it's just explicit. I mean, you look at Vatican II, Sacrosanctum Concilium, whether you agree with the changes or not, and like it's not being done in the way that it says, right? So it's like, well, so there needs to be some reform in the proper sense where it's not progressive, but actually like making it the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. The way it's you know? implemented too is a big problem because oh, yeah. whenever you change the way that people pray, you change a very intimate and drastic, well, dramatic serious portion of people's lives and it was really an overnight change it wasn't something yeah. gradual that's true that's true you know it really was like one week we go to mass people lost their and faith the priest is facing jesus and the cross and it's latin that's what we know the next week we show up and the priest is facing us and speaking english and you know what's going on we're we're supposed to have responses and i mean it's overnight and a lot of the stuff wasn't explained you know and that that really does alter people's lives yeah, I mean, Lex Ronnie, Lex Credendi, right? Law, yeah, exactly. Law of worship, law of prayers, law of belief. So, right. Change the worship, change the way people believe. And I mean, you definitely yeah, still, you still having, see the you effects know, you, of you that. Change you change know? the practice where you have the Eucharist deposited in people's hands and um, there's a, kind of a lack of reverence there. And, you know, you, we saw this big increase in people disbelieving in the true presence. Yeah. All I, the, I, I all think those things are definitely correlated. They're, it's not a causation. I don't think that the new mass caused all these problems yeah, of faith. Yeah, no, agreed. But I think that there is a strong correlation no. there. No, exactly. I think the, you know, a lot a lot of people are going to take issue, right, when you just say like, oh, well, a lack of reverence. Um, but I, I think the real objective, just easy way to measure that is holy. Like, what is holy? What is sacred? It's something that's set apart, right? Yeah. When the Eucharist being literally God incarnate, like, you know, condescending himself into this piece of bread or, you know, what looks and accidentally, uh, like a piece of bread, it's, um, losing my train of thought, but, um, what was I saying? God descends to a piece of bread that looks like a piece of bread, but it's not. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what's set? So that should be set apart more than anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, 
um, the priest being so it's like if everyone can touch the Eucharist, right? Doesn't seem to set, set apart. Yeah, what's set but apart then you have priest? the set apart hands, set apart office yes. for the sole purpose of mediating, like for the people, and to, to be able to consecrate and administer the Eucharist by actually touching, right? That that's right. set apart. Um, in the same way, like the whole sanctuary was set apart, right? Like being um that like nuptial theology, the the um sanctuary being like the womb of the church, yeah, right? The inner the inner Hence, chamber. Like argument for all male like liturgical um, <gasps> ministers. Controversial. Oh, oh. no, exactly because <laughs> e- even the minor <laughs> orders, while not being um you know like a point of no return or like actually receiving the indelible mark, nonetheless were by no means any less like participations in the one same priesthood of Christ, which requires one to be male, and so the whole <gasps> sexist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that was the whole issue with the recent thing in this past year with uh, Pope Francis. Um, like, oh, no women deacons, but right, we'll consider legitimate like women ministers. And like the whole big problem with that is, and see, people are like, oh, why is it a big deal? And the big deal is because that literally these liturgical offices, what they are meant to do, you've had anyone and everyone fulfilling those jobs but not actually being canonically recognized with a legitimate office. Right. Right. And so then people have become so used to it. See, and that's just the way it works. Like the gradual, like, Oh, yeah, I mean, the so diaconate is supposed you know, to we're be doing it anyway. Period. So how can it be bad? Right. And um, the diaconate is supposed to be transitory between your uh, seminarian and your, you're becoming a priest. And so you get ordained yeah. as a deacon before, cause it's like the sign is you are going to become a priest. Yeah. Permit diaconate started to be a thing around Nova Sordo as well. Um, and I think that introduced a lot of problems because instead of a young guy who's on his way to becoming a priest or, you know, maybe it's an older guy who's becoming a priest later in life. Now it's like the church grandpa who's kind of the elder of the church, but not in the sense of the, not in the sense that it is in the New Testament where it's that, you know, the bishop, but the elder in the sense that it's an older respected gentleman and nothing against um, permanent deacons as individuals. I think that a lot of them are very good people, very yeah. holy men. And very good examples, but I think that it kind of became a confusion with the actual role when that was allowed. Yeah, it. So, well, one one actually, um, I, I don't know how legitimate this is, but it, it's pretty interesting. I saw, remember seeing this on, you know, just like Catholic Twitter, right? Whatever. Um, not exactly the most reliable source of information. However, it was actually saying that Paul the Six, one of the reasons he got rid of the minor orders was actually to protect the priesthood from the argument of like, why can't we have married priests? Oh, really? Be- yeah. Because, because the minor orders, because the minor orders do not have, right, have the indelible marks. Yeah. There isn't actually the, so to speak, even though their participations insofar as they fulfill liturgical office and like almost like a liturgical delegation, the office themselves is not the administer of the sacrament of holy orders. So they're like, well, right. see, so it's not so, you know, women could do it or this or that. And so you actually wow. got rid of them to protect it. So, and that actually, I think makes a lot of sense. But then of course you have the situation where even with those minor orders being gone, those liturgical offices that meant to fulfill all those, you had people doing it anyway, right? Just with the lack of liturgical office period. Right. So someone doing the readings um, and it, right. And it's, it's not to hold people like be critical of people because they don't know better. Not even the priests know better because of the formation they received. Right. Um, but yeah, one of the so. craziest things to me was when Alex was on his Vatican II craze, which was a legitimate craze. Um, Alex was going wild with, you know, so crazy. Nope. It's, it's very true. But you, you know, you were you were really diving deep into the 
to understanding it. And you pointed out that the uh, people, priests being able to administer the sacrament on the hands was actually, I'm forgetting the word, but it was a an allowance. Indult. Indult. It's an enormous stone song. So it's so it's like we don't want you to do that really, but we're gonna allow it. We're, yeah. We'll permit it. And There's literally that, nothing like, positive for it. Crazy. I yeah. Know. So I mean, every I don't know what Pope Francis has said, but uh, every pope prior, like since the Second Vatican Council, has explicitly, basically advised against it. But I think the mentality in the post consecular era was like right. The transition from the um, the transition from this right. Ultramont is like Pope as like strong leader, political leader, just like take a step back. Supreme Emperor. Yeah, we're sorry about all the uh you I know the, am crusade. the church. <laughs> I am the church. No, Christ Christ is the yeah. church. You are the vicar. Infallible of power. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but um so just trying to get away from Infallible power. <laughs> Sends an encyclical your way. <laughs> it's like, it's the ultramontane it's is like, like, more like yes, 50 encyclical. It's water's law. Um, <laughs> That's Vatican I summarized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. so for that very reason, it was, I mean, even Paul VI, right? It was like, okay, um, German bishops being disobedient, like straight up disobeying. And on the basis of like, hey, look what this church father said, which supposedly there's debate about the legitimacy of the, those sermons anyway. Like Cyril comes, Jerusalem. Cyril Jerusalem. Yeah, right. It's like sermon, like what? 50 something. Catechetical um, lectures. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's like five lectures. It's debated on the historicity of them, period. And again, that's like one lecture from one church father against the whole Eastern tradition where he literally comes from the fourth century. And what does the fourth century liturgy that still is present to this day have? Uh, guess what? It doesn't have that practice. It has you know, receiving intention, you know, on the tongue with the little spoon, right? Right. And even then, it's like, it's just like cookie cutting. It's just taking it totally out of context where it's like, and I'm sure that's what the bishops were doing, like purposely, or the German ones, you know? Um, where yeah, they're still just, doing that. Right, they're still doing it, exactly. <laughs> they're trying to break away right they're now. They're trying to break away from the church noticed, right now. Like, no, exactly, yeah, with all the... No, no I think there, there is apparently, mm-hmm. according to a reputable source, he thinks that there's going to be a very... Like in the near future, there's going to be a very large schism oh, yeah, in I, the German I, church. I think it's, yeah, very... Very possible, very private. Those eminence. pesky Germans. But yeah, um, because, because of all problems, yeah. In the even world, then, the I mean, you'd be surprised to see Swiss, how much bro. how much in the Novus Ordo <laughs> is actually present in that one like same sermon. Like it talks about the the deacon, you know, being like, "Hey, everyone, show a sign of peace and stuff." Like that's in there. That's pretty interesting. And the even, but just oh, are you talking about Justin the Martyr? His, no, no, no. Uh, I'm talking about still oh, oh, Cyril, Cyril Jerusalem. That okay, same okay, sermon okay. that yeah. received the like a throne comes from, and it's just kind of ironic because one, when he's like saying receive like a throne, he's like, you know the the Eucharist, it's like, should be thinking of it like uh, grains of like gold, you know, like fine, fine gold, like in, in your hand. And like, you don't want any of it dropping. So it like still kind of holds the mentality, like be careful as hell. But even then it, it, you know, it literally says receive on the hand, sanctify your sensory organs. So like touch it to your eyes, uh, take the blood, like, like Passover, wipe it across your brow. And it's like, Hmm. It's like if we actually want to abide by that sermon, you know. Hmm, yeah. No. Nope. Uh, Kermit the Frog. You know. Um, I'm sorry, but that's wrong. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you're an idiot. Before he does not the. Uh, last the time I checked. Yeah, I do not see. I was that. just watching no, the. Look, uh, we don't, we, no, Christ Peter. is a new Passover, but we do not. We do not take Christ's precious blood and sprinkle it across the people. Yeah. You know, no, like they exactly, did. Exactly. Exactly. So doorstep. you do not that see that. Not what you do? If we're actually looking at that sermon, you got to take that in its in its entirety. And that receiving on the hands, touching to your eyes. On, 
that clearly did not continue in the church right. if it happened at all. It was not carried in the tradition, which means, guess what? The Holy Spirit and his guidance of the church, it, you don't see it anywhere. Like in the, any other sermons, any other, you know, wherever, right? What you do see is St. Basil the Great and like, hey, it's a grave, grave issue to touch the Eucharist outside of persecution or if you're like a hermit. You have like no one. No, if there's a serious problem. Well, well, you go first. What were you going to say about Kermit the Frog? <laughs> oh, I was just watching the Jordan Peterson goes to Burger King video <laughs> oh, yeah. today. Dude, if that, you guys haven't seen the Jordan, Jordan Peterson, Peterson goes to, by the way. it's not. It's a no, guy acting not, like yeah, him. But he does you know. a good But I mean, job Kermit and Jordan Peterson, voice. I mean, yeah, come on. There's just like similar. a few pronunciation differences. <laughs> um, yeah, so, me. so, and then if he's a real king, then he provides burgers as a real father. <laughs> what is the typification of a man? typification of a man? of a man? Uh, what does yeah. he do? He provides shelter. He provides food. He provides burgers. Bloody right. He provides burgers. <laughs> the burger. He's the Burger King. <laughs> Dude, I, psychological understanding. <laughs> um, the reason I got I got so big into Dostoevsky was because uh, Kraft and yeah. Peterson yes. re- recommended Brother Jordan Yeah, Peterson, no lie, is legitimately brilliant. Like he's a. I mean, he's an order to be studied. He is. He his is. his I mean, lectures even, his yeah. lectures on Genesis oh, Bible are gosh. really good. You guys, you guys oh yeah, I've, I've listened to a few of them. them, and even just even like stuff on the New Testament when he was talking about um, I forgot which uh, interview, but he was literally meditating, literally reflecting on right. Just you know, what does it mean for Christ to say, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me? And his his conclusion was the cross, like the suffer, like the suffering, and it, it's kind of sad because his impression just kind of being not you know, fully um, committed or just kind of like almost agnostic about the resurrection, at least at this time. Right. Um, he, you know, see the the Orthodox, the Eastern Church more as like that, you know, hardcore suffering actually represented the Catholic Church is kind of like, right. when really in principle, it's all there and you just have, you know, we're, we're lamos and we don't actually enact it. But it's actually really cool though. I don't know if you saw recently, um, he's been doing a few videos with Bishop Barron and uh, his, one video his wife, like recently, ago. recently? Yeah. And his, oh, really? his wife, you know, both Jordan Peterson has his health issues. Apparently his wife was in like legitimate danger of dying. And yes, yeah. she, she's been praying the rosary, Dude. praying the rosary, praying oh, the rosary. Dude, that's the and, step. That's and the step to get you there, man. It's awesome. Once and they so, start praying the rosary, our lady just takes um, you and is like, you I know, will put you in my church. Like all critiques of Bishop Barron aside, of just obviously his, you know, not even his, but Von Balthus are all that dare we hope crap like right i don't um, know man people uh, let's like, go were you there at the dairy hope debate last semester yes but the majority where, where of the time the i was friends? in the back stairwell okay. kind of rehearsing my All right. speech you want to go as the french state today the today head to head on uh on dairy hope because sure i actually defended it um which was a huge surprise to me by the way really i don't need to fill you up you get you poured like a full um leb Man, dare we hope actually how do we put this? It's false. I every okay, so I have a YouTube account. Uh no way. I can't say it that I use as my like I comment because I'm okay. one of the yeah. monkeys who comment on stuff. But I would comment on Bishop Barron's stuff and I got he replied, either him or a staffer, he probably yeah. a staffer, replied to me multiple times and it was all dare we hope stuff. And I was like going at him, I was like, This is retarded, here's syllabus of errors, here's like you're you're stupid. Okay. Uh, one week away, Clem contacts me and said, we're trying to do this Jerry Hope debate. Do you want to present on it? And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I read some of it and he said, you're going to have to uh, affirm Derry Hope if you want to debate it. And I was like, okay, let me, let me think about the arguments, think about the ideas. And after a week, I was convinced I had the winning side for the debate at least. 
Mm. Now, I probably interpret it different than Balthazar. That's fair. And I'm not a great theologian. So, yeah, <laughs> there's that. Um, so, uh, one of the really major points is, so uh, let me give the other side's argument that, okay, well, dare we hope is stupid because we have so many um, sources that just tell us there are definitely people in hell. Okay, Judas, the phrase in Matthew that it would be better if he was not born, right? Um, okay, how do you interpret that other than he's been eternally damned? Okay, and then all the saints who held, let's say, Augustine, a Mastodon, not a the- uh, theory, that the majority of people are damned. Even you have people like Newman who really wrestled with it, and the majority of people are damned. Aquinas kind of held a Mastodon, not a position. Most of the really intelligent Christians have held this kind of uh, Mastodon, not a thesis. Most of the mystics and saints. Most of the mystics and things, saints saints and whatever. Okay, fair enough. You have the visions of Fatima where she says, I see souls falling like snowflakes into hell and all this type of stuff. All right, all that there. Okay, now now how with that do I hold a dare we hope uh, position? Um, I have to maintain that none of those rise to the level of a certainty that any individual soul is actually permanently damned. And the reason I can say that confidently, so the the places in the gospels where it talks about, you know, cast into the eternal fire, cast into the whatever, um, if you actually go to the particular context, none of them have the context of individual souls being individually damned. And a lot of times it's kind of a judgment. So take for example the separation of the goats of the sheep and um those who did this to the least of my brethren, they did unto me. Okay, well, <clears throat> and those who, uh, you know, didn't uh, do all these particular things for the least of my brethren, they get cast into the eternal fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Now, when you interpret that in, the, in its context, what you did to the least of my brethren actually applies to the Christians. Correct. So it's the judgment of the nations and not the judgment of individuals on how they treated their Christians. Correct. And so the nations are thrown to, and and then we use the term eternal, but in scripture, it wouldn't have been translated like Aristotelian eternal. Like there wasn't like this, this whole philosophical framework of eternal. It would have been to the age. So it's kind of like a rabbinic hyperbole rather than it is like some type of definitive so Aristotelian category. So you're saying it's it not an Aristotelian category. It's a rabbinic category. Those are distinctive. So are you saying that it might not have an eternal bent? You're saying that it might not not like we would think of it Aristotelian. So you're saying it might have an in time fulfillment? Yeah. So to the age. So the way that they they say eternal is uh, tone ionon, which is to the age. Now, does that have the same emphasis as eternal, or does it mean to the age? So I'm not a I'm not a rabbinic scholar. I'm not a scholar of Hebrew, but to me, it's well. Here's here's another Matthew. Matthew's gospel is where the majority of these phrases occur. Actually, almost all of them. And Matthew is permeated with uh, rabbinic uh, hyperbole, basically. Yeah. Okay, cut yeah. your eye out and throw it away. Cut your hand off and, and throw it away. It was also said that he's most likely writing to a, a Jewish audience. So yeah, well, saying that they're going to be cast out into the eternal fire, none of this is particular individuals, and none of it is purely saying, here's an eternal hell, and here's an eternal heaven, and here's exactly how it looks. Um, a lot of it is conditional prophecies, and it's it's not just saying it's just hyperbole, and I'm dismissing it. Yeah, but these categories of here's an eternal heaven, here's an eternal hell. Everyone either goes to that one or that one. 
that concept didn't really exist in that same type of way until much later on development wise. So the gospels wouldn't have had that exact same concept. It really is a Roman law based. Really, you can trace it with Augustine because you, you have the imposition of Roman law that really makes it. You have in the Greek fathers this really strange emphasis. So you find it in Gregory of Nyssa. Obviously, you find it in Origen. And that's the reason why Jerome was so against Origen. And Rufinius was actually like, hey, there may be some cool stuff here. Is because Origen held to the apocostasis, which is at the end of time, all beings all that were created will be restored in Christ. And even if they committed evil, um, they'll be renewed. Now, that's just not that's, true. I mean, that you yeah. get into so many. Well, that's just not true because you get into so that was many rejected. issues yes. of... Yeah. You get to so many problems of forcing people against their will to do something that they did not will. And it doesn't have anything to do with desire or natural desire. Okay, well, well there's, there's more happens. mysterious I mean, problems. There's more mysterious I mean, problems all, than that. Because was, okay, Mary was without also, sin originally. No consent of her will on that. And yet it's the perfection of her will. And if you if you try and explain, okay, why? So God preserved her, her from all sin purely by an act of his grace. And she cooperated that by her will. Was she not free in her cooperation? No, she definitely was. Okay, so it's when it's within God's bounds, even within your will, to help you to will the good. Now, that's using Thomistic ideas yeah. of good and evil. Because even the will, if it's choosing the good, is it's the fulfillment of its will. Mm-hmm. It's not against the will. Right. Choosing evil is against the will. So the idea of God redeeming all wills is not philosophically against his goodness. In fact, it could be a part of his goodness. Right. However, the idea of a rejection of hell as being a real possibility for any soul while on earth has to yeah. be rejected. It, what about That's you, von Balthasar's yeah. point so that I, I got from him. My okay. first impression is I think is it's that, it's poorly worded in some yeah, of his I, arguments. So. My first impression is that it's like it's almost That's taking like true. this hyper-focused lens on like Focusing on the scriptures, which I mean, obviously nothing wrong with that, but then just like inferring things from it and just like kind of ignoring like the practical observations of like what we actually see. I mean, because even just like um, again, like, right? We, we kind of were brought up the issue of like Feeney and like the the letter of the Holy Office, like yep. uh, to Boston and um, the 20th century, to where like Feeney was teaching that you had to be a member of the church to be saved, um, when really the church was um, condemned to like both extremes, where you have to be the member, but you also like members of the religions, but essentially the conditions being one that you're invincibly ignorant, which literally nobody knows. Like only God knows if someone's invincibly ignorant, then actually making an act of supernatural faith. And, you know, arguably like you would probably have to believe in um, like the two necessary like Trinity and incarnation. So act of supernatural faith. And then three perfect charity. Like, so still by the grace of God and then actually persist in that um, to like your dying day, right? When literally the, it's almost indefinite. And like, you know, Aquinas definitely talks about like where with concupiscence, it's like, there, there's just almost no way that's like this pot, like the instance of that actually happening. And for one, us like, um, observably like seeing that it like, arguably in a practical observation, what we know about people, okay, not being members of the church and just how we literally also, I mean, we look at, people in the church and like what we actually, when we actually have access to those grace, like the, those graces and those gifts, like through the sacraments and then arguably how much we still sin. It's like, you know, the, why it's like, uh, in principle, it's like, yes, you know, invincibly ignorant, supernatural faith and 
perfect charity. And in that supernatural faith, exactly like if they are not a member of the church, that in believing in God and desiring to do his will, it implicitly entails like a desire for baptism. Um, that it's, it, it's just like, so like to suggest, I mean, cause f- from what I understand the the big issue, like with uh, having a, a, a hope or like, you know, dare we hope that hope necessarily entails that it'd be reasonable. Like that's one thing, you know, I wish a million dollars fall on the scale, uh, out of the sky, but to say that I can have a reasonable hope. Um, I think it, it's almost like indefinitely no. I just from pure observation I, and from scripture, and I'll just one more comment before yeah, I forget. No, yeah. But the even just in the the scriptural understanding, um, you know, the Matthew's divided up into the like the five major sermons, right? And the sermons on the end times, um, in Matthew, at least like twenty four through twenty five. Yep. You know, it's talking to where like until the, like when this until this generation like passes away, yeah. right? Um, like topologically understood with the old, the Old Testament, I believe it's uh, one example. I'm forgetting the other, but Leviticus 25. So it's understood that generation means literally like human race. So until this generation, until the human it race, could mean 40. I think 40 years is the typical understanding. Of yeah, I mean I, that, that. Well, at least one interpretation supposedly. Okay. No, fair enough. Um, I take more I of that. Preter- I, I take a I pretty preterist view. Generation to generation means perpetual. You sure. see that in Exodus. Sure. Whenever. Um, when the Lord is commanding to Moses, this Passover you will keep from generation to generation. Yeah, it's, I mean, but it, it's kind of interesting, but, but in the way it like also ties in with like, I will be with you to the end of the ages, like just kind of right. in this holistic view of like, well, until the end of time, like this. Um, I think the point that you made about it being a reasonable hope is very important because hope is not unreasonable. That was the biggest thing Clem and Nash went against me on. Because it's not reasonable. And then they just provided what they saw as evidence. And what I had to do is just say, I think each of your evidence is not really evidence. In fact, it's just, I think it's it's, it's interpreted in different ways. It's more complex. The best way to look at it is to say, okay, do we have to believe, do we have to consent with, obedience of faith a very important thing to the, the to the proposition that there are souls that are damned eternally i don't think the answer is yes i think the answer is no however do i think that we can hope reasonably and that's yeah. kind of in, that's kind of in parentheses because all hope ought to be reasonable it should be hope in something which is credible something which is believable faith worthy no, I don't think we can. And I think that that's just purely based on, you know, you can call it evidence. I, I really think you can call it the tradition of faith that we have been handed on through the by the apostles, by Jesus. I think that Here, tradition of the faith is evidence. very much opposed to that idea that we can reasonably hope that all men are saved. Yeah. I mean, the counter evidence is, okay, so this is Balthazar's point. <clears throat> okay, there, and this is what I had to do with the debate is say, each of your points of what you claim to be evidence is dubious, and it it doesn't imply individual damnation. So well, each what does of those it imply? massive damnation because that's even more strong. So actually, this is it the idea. The idea that seems very dubious. Me, too. The ideal of so the idea of communal salvation and communal damnation is the is the hermeneutical tool of the New Testament. Like when when Christ tells to the apostles at the end of Matthew. He says, go and preach to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? When the judgment of the nations happens, it's the judgment of nations. It's not the judgment of individuals. Each of those occasions is always a communal salvation and communal judgment. In fact, right, I uh, beginning of Acts of the Apostles, Christ tells the apostles, 
Um, I'm sending you first to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, right? At the Council of Jerusalem, they're preaching the Gentiles. It's a communal idea, right? That there's this idea of communal salvation. Now, there's also the idea of communal damnation, right? Okay, so have like Jonah preaching to the Ninevites. All of you are going to be destroyed in 40 days unless you repent. And then they all repent, right? You're not saved alone. You're saved with the church. Likewise, you're not damned alone. You're damned with all of the damned who are living in the city of man. Now, in this type of, in this hermeneutic, um, all of these New Testament quotations are not necessarily implying particular individuals being eternally damned in this kind of category of here's the heavenly, here's the damned like, and they don't rise to the level of evidence. Now, here's the evidence that Balthazar and others use as the positive evidence. Okay, it's the same thing that Paul talks about in Philippians, where uh, Christ was willing to go so far as to die for the ungodly, right? Even when we were in our sin, right? All of us deserve uh, death and damnation due to Adam's sin and because of our own sins. Okay, fair enough. However, Christ, through his mercy, decides to become incarnate and even go all the way to the cross. Now, that is where Origen bases his universal rec- recapitulation. Now, I'm not saying he's right. I think he's. I think he went too far in what he was saying. I think you should leave it kind of mystical and say, we don't know how it's going to end up. Because we don't know how it's going to end up. Well, what about right? the book yeah. of the Apocalypse? But, when Do you think that there okay, are demons that are damned? communal damnation. No, it's the not, actually. The whore of Babylon is thrown into the... Well, okay, well three let me things just ask you this question the, before you... Go. I, I understand the communal damnation thing, but let me just ask you this question. Do you think that there are demons? Yeah. Do you think that it is possible that the demons repent from their demonic ways and that they... I don't know. Okay, well, that just, See, seems, like, affirming- that just seems like a false... That just seems like you're not thinking through the implications of what you're saying. Because if we truly believe that the angels had one choice because they're purely spiritual beings and they chose... Did Adam will, and Eve have one choice? No, they're temporal beings. They're not, they're not purely spiritual beings. Okay. They're material. They choose things over time. Yeah, fair. Okay, and then they're... Okay, so I was just reading this in Romans because I had to write it today in Romans 5. Well, where Paul talks about like... Adam chose death. Sorry, Adam chose sin, and death spread to all men. Yes. Right, and through Adam, all men sinned, and therefore death spread to all men. And if that was the final say, then that would be the final say. But through Christ, we have found redemption, and the redemption is not sorry, like sorry, in that, not in like that Adam's sin. Communal damnation, basically. Like through, yeah, through we're, we're exactly humanity well, is not an so individuality I, thing. See, I feel like I the, agree with that. The primary inference, like. Uh, made uh, about this, you know, actually being able to hope about this, like due, due to it being like communal damnation or communal salvation kind of also just ignores the issue of what we know to be true about individual. Like we have a particular judgment, right? Like that is, like, we know that to be true. And the conditions of that, like we understood, you know, we understand about, right? Okay, being baptized, prof- profession of faith, and like actually persisting in, in charity and faith. Um, you know, right. Romans will like actually having that faith, uh, being, being the condition. And then, um, you know, if you have that faith, it entails like, um, you know, if you're at, uh, in virtue of your reason and like at that, at the age of reason that entails like baptism. And so like, I don't understand how somehow understanding and seeing how, you know, implications of this evidence or, um, you know, looking at these scriptures like, okay, communal salvation or communal damnation, like somehow, you know, is contradictory or, 
like separate from the issue of like particular salvation, mm-hmm. you know, the particular judgment mm-hmm. and what we know, like the conditions necessary for salvation when considering the individual and what is necessary for right. them to like meet those standards. And I think the assertion here scarce, like, is so. that our concepts of an eternal hell and an eternal heaven as being the only two options of anyone on earth and purgatory and purgatory and, and looking at it as well, I mean, purgatory is a part of heaven. Um, Looking at it as individuals is importing a modern framework to the Gospels because they don't. I can put this. And this is not to say. I'm not denying there's a hell. I'm also not denying there's, you know, obviously there's heaven, obviously there's hell, and that each of those potentialities are open to man. And that's what you have to maintain in the doctrine. But. Our categories of it were not the same categories of the apostles when they were writing the Gospels. So Peter talks about crisis in and into Hades, and you have this abode of the dead, and then the gates of heaven are open, and you had you know people going into that, right? Now, yeah, it, okay. So Origen's idea, which is wrong, but perhaps that hell really is so. Sorry, let's put it this way. Purgatory is so hellish that no one would ever want to go there. And it's so bad that it it is eternal and it, it, it's whatever. And that the, the uh, purgation of sin is of such a caliber after death that it is, uh, you know, like fire to the age where there's gnashing of teeth, as you have in Matthew. And further... That the judgment of the nations, uh, even here on earth, even here on earth is of such a caliber. I mean, if you read Josephus and you read the Jewish war and you read what happened in in Jerusalem, it's of such, it's very hellish, right? I mean, you have Hobbes following Calvin. Wicked and adulterous generation. You have Hobbes following Calvin who says, you know, earth is hell. I mean, like, this is hell. Like, look around. It is hell. So, um the fires of hell are not unto the age. And, you know, it, it was put really well in, okay, I, I want to say the, you can maintain a number of things but still retain some type of mystery to it. I'm not saying I understand it fully. A lot of this is fed by, okay, so this phrase from Ivan and Brothers K, I'm actually looking at it on my shelf right now. Okay, Caleb, you are the god of a universe in which there are a hundred people. Are we getting a Mormonism here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a little Mormonism. But you're the god of the universe, you get to populate and congrats. you get to populate a hundred people on there, and you know that one of those one hundred is going to be eternally damned and eternally suffering, and never, and by the by the choice of their own will, by the choice of their own will, well, own will, and the other ninety nine are going to be living eternally in peace and in harmony harmony and fulfillment of their life with you eternally forever in heaven. Would you create that universe? I mean, well, the issue being is like my, my happiness, right? If I'm actually God properly understood, then is like not contingent on whether someone's saved or not. But insofar as like certain individuals are saved and actually do, um, like, like you said, like, like the majority of them is, which, is 99 to one. Yeah. 99 to one. There is an, an extrinsic glory that is like. Uh, I think the salvation of one about soul would be worth the entire exactly of exactly damnation. because there is the whole like it's you not just a quantity un- thing. understood the purpose uh, of the church right 
uh, in the proximate sense is the um, you know, continued sanctification of men like through uh, in God's plan of redemption, like through Christ. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate purpose being that extrinsic glory of God, because God doesn't didn't need creation, right? He didn't need to create. Um, he has his intrinsic glory where the you know, like right where Christ and um, I believe I believe it's John seventeen, you know, talks about yeah, with the um, glory that you've given me, yeah, a glory that you've given world. exactly. So there's the in, within the, the Trinity the, the eternal glorification of one another and the like personal community that is, is in the Trinity. And so there's not, um, to, to create involves like for the glorification, uh, of himself and not because it's on, and it, you know, it almost sounds egotistical, but it's, it's just like, it's fitting. Mm. And so they, yeah, like you said, so even just of one soul being saved involves that extrinsic glorification of God by, um, a creature voluntarily choosing, um, which involves, you know, sharing in that love. Like There's that also, I think, a lot of problems with our understanding of the free will because what you brought up earlier about Mary not being able to choose, I think, is very important. Uh, but she no, she did. I should free. clarify. She did choose. Yeah. No, but, but I think, but no, but no. She but didn't choose to be conceived without sin. Well, she did not choose to be conceived without sin. That's impossible. Um, however, I think also she never had the ability to choose sin. She never did. Um, and neither do the saints in heaven also have the ability to choose sin, but they are still incredibly free. Free choice and free will are actually very different, and free choice is actually repugnant to free will in a way. Free choice is the ability to choose other than the will desires, and free will is the ability to choose what the will desires. Free choice choice is less free than free will. No, exactly. Free will entails that potentiality to essentially choose against what the nature... Free choice uh, does. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Go the the potential to choose against uh, what what is fitting for the nature, which is like you know fulfilling right. God's will and your own happiness. Which right. it like necessarily free will necessarily entails that potentiality, but like you said, it's not it's not it's not fitting or it's not proper. Like right. to it. so, and it doesn't have to, and it doesn't like, marry. And that's a really interesting question too. With you know, did you know, is Mary the exemplar to which all the other people on Earth will eventually? raised to that level i mean the answer just seems very unequivocally to be no to me but maybe that needs to be fleshed out more but also i wanted to address the point that you made earlier about matthew being you know possibly interpreted differently than he's been commonly interpreted in the church i think that's definitely possible um i'm not a biblical scholar however i would point out that it's not just matthew that has these instances of judgment even if they're communal but also in john's gospel the entire thing is about eternal life but it's not eternal life for everyone. It's eternal life for those for who believe in the in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. It's those who have seen the glory of God, who have believed in the glory of God, and have done God's works through Jesus. Right? It's it's about the works revealed, the work of God revealed through the Son, and the internal life of God as love, as caritas, and the Christian life as empowered by the Spirit to participate in God's life. The reason why we have eternal life is because we have God's life. We don't have eternal life through our works, but through the works of God. And it's the same thing with the damned. The reason they don't have eternal life is not because they did all these evil things, necessarily. The reason why we are damned is because we don't have God's life. That's why we're damned when we're born. Not because we've contracted a stain on our souls, but because we've contracted death, which is 
to say that we have contracted. Shout out to Dr. Han and yeah. his Roman six commentary. Absolutely, dude. Um, no, yeah, I, no, I was, I was just about to bring up. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's not like everybody. It's not like um, everybody who's not saved is not you know is positively punished in hell for all eternity. But it's that eternal life and the, is eternal life is nothing more than the sharing of the inner life of God. That is what yeah. eternal life is, it, and God does yeah. not give that special grace to all people according to God's own words revealed through Christ. That's at least what it seems like very strongly, very strongly to me. And, and I like, like what you're and saying. to the church. Uh, the means at which that grace is achieved, like like, like you said, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Skahan as a uh, commentary on John 6, but I mean, what was coming to mind when, when Paul was saying that is, is, yeah, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. I mean, something observable, like a perceptibility, you know, within... Um, the essential, I believe that's part of the essential properties of the church is like, is a perceptibility is something you can observe. And yeah, as far as like the corpus, the body of Christ, right? Not some invisible church, which is, you know, like condemned, right? It's, um, you know, like Bellarmine talks about it, all that. And his, you know, yeah. right on church militant, like not something invisible, something visible, a visible something mediation that you can see exactly. So, so it signifies the uh, invisible grace, like through a um, visible reality. And, yeah, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. And like through the observation of that, there are many that are not. And those that are exceptional where somehow they do, right? Invincibly ignorant, supernatural faith and have perfect charity. It's like they are nonetheless an objectively, an objective like observation. You 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 categorize them as in a grave danger, even if they are like it's they're in grave danger. I mean, you even know, as we are as so, baptized and confirmed Catholics, you know, even as we are yeah, who participate yeah. in the body of Christ. Do, it's I, not, do I get some pushback for dude, Dare Saint We Hope Francis, position? Dude, St. Francis himself, man, like like St. Francis is apparently <laughs> one of the, I mean, just reading, read the life of St. Francis according to Bonaventure. I mean, that's just so an amazing good. work. So um, but St. Francis would very commonly frequent, uh, frequent the topic of damnation and say, you know, basically he would, he would say, I'm one step away from hell at all times. Like I'm just one step away from hell at all times because I have the ability at all times to just choose what is evil and to just deny Christ, to deny our Lord, like St. Peter did. I mean, St. Peter, the vicar, the first vicar of Christ, the one who Christ appointed to guard and govern his bride, to guard and govern his wife. St. Peter denied our Lord. That's not, it's not like some impossible reality. I mean, St. Francis felt it. He knew that he was capable of it. He knew that he was one step away from it all the time. And he was vigilant about it. That's not to be taken lightly. And I don't think that the dare we hope position necessarily leads to that. And I don't want to straw man it in just saying, oh, well, it has negative effects. I understand. I understand that that's a straw man. And I'm just going to point that out. But I do think that it's not to be ignored that the dairy hope position does lead to these sort of tendencies and problems. Thank yeah. you. The lack of assent, That's like you were saying, you. I think earlier, you know, probably a while back. Um, I mean, the lack of lack of assent due due to you know, okay, being communal salvation, communal damnation doesn't entail you know withholding assent to that just because like oh well, it's not you know involving particular people like identity that then they'll you know. It's condemning. That doesn't then somehow entail, you know, it tells a lack of assent to that, but not then somehow like just necessarily entails an assent to the like contrary position. Like, well, okay, then those identities are true. Um, are saved. I mean, even in the example of, you know, just uh, 
uh, with Theology of the Church with Dr. Uh, Cirilla, like reading an article from a, a wonderful and amazing Thomist, like uh, Char- uh, Charles Renee, like very greatly involved with the Second Vatican Council. But however, he, um, he um, suggests using Thomistic principles, but it's kind of ironic because like he makes an argument from Thomistic principles, but I think kind of really ignores the uh, like almost entire. It's basically saying wherever there is like that grace of a, like extension, like from the church, like then like necessarily there is like a visible man- manifestation of the church. So he, he argues that the church is visible in all people like that. Essentially all um, that, you know, right. So you have the letter to Feeney, which I think like objectively just takes care of it to where it's like, okay, well there are people who are not members who um, are saved um, at least, at least theoretically, but then you have the people who, um, basically he argues that necessarily where there is salvation, there is the visible church like manifest, which basically he says it's through the act of charities, but that just basically doesn't really fit with like, for one, like Bellarmine's uh, uh, definition where it involves necessarily like the communication of the, uh, of the sacraments. But, um, but anyway, like what I was trying to get to is like, just like, you know, Lumen Gentium, like 16, where it talks about, right. Those who know thought fall to their own, you know, basically like God does not, um, like hold them culpable like for that you know that is properly understood has nothing to do with the proposition of like no salvation out of the church it basically means that god does not hold them culpable for like a direct like opposition to um being a member of the church or like you know basically seeing the church like no i reject the church i'm not he doesn't hold them culpable for so to speak that sin however that does not mean that he doesn't hold them culpable for all the other sins that they commit in their life you know, in virtue of their concupiscence or yeah. uh, whatever other offenses, be it idolatry or um, whatever, whatever they're right. whatever they're involved in, and which almost without without God's grace, without you know, inevitably like they're going to commit, you know, and uh, endanger themselves from salvation. It's a so. it's a very difficult proposition, and it's very difficult to say one way or the other how we should judge. But I think that it is definitely true that for the sake of our own virtue and our own increase of grace, it's important to realize that we have the capacity for great evil. And that not only do we have the capacity, but we have, we we do commit great evils. We do reject God's grace. We do reject God's trust. And very often we do that. Does that mean that we will be damned in our particular judgment? Does that mean that all men will be saved or all men or most men will be damned or even some will be damned i think that the more important question although this is i think very important i think that the most important question is what do i do in my life that will increase god's grace in me and how can i perfect the christian life of virtue and and instantiate god's peace on earth and his kingdom Riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so I've, I've listened. Dairy Hope is now coming out. Um, I agree with you. I, the, I, I you know, do I've, you I've wondered. You could, do you think that you could be damned? Yeah. <laughs> I think if you shot me right now, I probably would. Um, I hope not. Thanks. Oh, that's an important now, question. Now, just like, apply that universally, and you got no, Dario. Dude, no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> Let's go. I can, I can hope. I can hope for the. I can, I can hope, and I can pray for souls that I 
I can hope and I can pray for all souls. I can I can hope for people I know, However, but I can't hope for everybody. No, I can certainly hope for everybody. No, no, no. However, I mean, but that that's well, what it comes I mean, down well, I mean, to. It's a problem of it's, universalism. It's, like, no, 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 it's no, the same problem. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, well, okay. I hope Humanism everyone I know, falls. my family and my friends are saved. But everybody else, they're strangers. I don't know about them. I don't know if I can hope they're going to be saved. Yeah. I. It's like, okay, but okay, let me provide my, my spiel. Dare we hope that all men be saved? The I reason think, why it hit me so hard. I think we can. All right, thanks, Paul. All right, now so I think, I think we can hope that all men be saved if we throw caution to the wind and reason. Okay, okay, not, yeah, no, no, okay, no. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Wait, 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 wait. Even just in virtue of our own knowledge, I, I think I, I very much agree with, with Alex because even in the Thomistic understanding of Christ, like the Christological understanding of what we know about Christ knowledge and virtue, divine nature, and then, uh, but specifically the human nature, that um, arguably it one of the arguments for him necessarily having the beatific vision upon the moment of incarnation is that he doesn't know like it's necessary really like for for the act of salvation that in the meritorious act keeping in mind every single individual that he intends to save you know whether they choose to accept that grace or not but merits it for them right god giving everyone the grace like necessary you know uh, that they need where you know choose to reject or accept it um that he know them as it like individually, which entails like uh, knowledge of the beatific vision and not just a mere concept of humanity. So it's, it's and so like, okay, we don't have the beatific vision, right? We're, we're not there. We're not Christ. And so it, it, it kind of seems like the, it's interesting, like the connection almost be with like, okay, us hoping that all men be saved is, is not like the mere concept of humanity is not actually the individual identity of each and every one of us. Like, so you're like, okay, for, for my family members, those people I know that I've encountered, I can hope for them. You know, I, I have a lack of knowledge. I, I can right. hope I for them. Good. I can, and so I can pray for them, sacrifice for them, but all of humanity, I mean, of course you can, you know, get to the blessed mother for him to, no, but, but, it's, but, but it really is but, the same thing for her. It really is the yeah, same thing yeah, for her. She participated in Christ to such a degree that she really did know us all individually as her sons and daughters. Sure, she does. She didn't we just don't. think, no, we don't. And I, 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 that's a great point. And I also want to point out that in John 17, in the later half of the high priestly prayer, when Christ is praying for first himself, that God will reveal his glory through the hour of Christ, which is, which is his sacrifice. Then he prays for the apostles. And then in the end, who does he pray for? The church. church. He prays for those who believe. He prays for those who believe in him through the apostles' word, through the word of those whom you have sent me, right? Yeah. Those of you who have given to me. Who are we except those who believe through the word of the apostles? Yeah. Jesus doesn't pray that the glory of God will be revealed to everyone, and when he's talking in the parables of Matthew as well about do not cast your pearls before swine, he's not talking about pigs. He's not talking about literal pearls and pigs. He's talking about do not cast the mysteries of Christ, which is why there was a cult of secrecy around the initial church, around the mysteries, AKA the sacraments. Why, why there was because they didn't want to cast their pearls before those who were not elect. That does not mean to say that they did not evangelize. And in fact, there was, far more of an impetus for evangelization back then because they knew they had a stronger feel for the fact that if they didn't evangelize and people were not going to be saved. And they thought the Lord was coming then. They thought like within their end of their life. They thought it was, yeah, right. All right. Well, that's, yeah, right. All right. Yeah, yeah. My my two opponents here in this position. You are tete a tete with two people. I want to introduce a series of mysteries that are not admitted 
as, okay, number one, how can temporal beings merit anything eternal? They don't. Okay. Now, further. The virtue of Christ. Okay. So, temporal beings meriting eternal consequences is a very interesting proposition. Further, okay. The passages in the New Testament applying to individuals rather than communal judgment, which results in uh, a certain destruction of communities. So even Paul talks about in Romans 5 and Romans 6, like all Israel will be saved. Mm -hmm. And this really strange idea that all Israel will be saved. And the idea here is um, that there's this communal salvation of the remnant of Israel. And... They're going to be saved from the destruction that's going to come upon Jerusalem of unfaithful Jerusalem. Okay, fair enough. Now, I believe our concepts of everyone just has this twofold thing. Either they accept the gospel and then commit no mortal sin and they go to heaven, or they never hear the gospel and they're just on the path to hell, or even they're Christian and then they're one mortal sin away from just going to eternal damnation. That whole concept is not biblical. It's, I mean, you, I think that's a hard. I think that's a hard burden to prove. I mean, I, I think that that's a hard bargain to sell. That does seem to be the Christian. That does seem to be what the gospel says. Point to where narrow is the gate, and few who enter it. Fair enough, but that could be narrow is the gate who enter into life, which is the life eternal, which is entering into the gospel message. Right, yes. There are very few who and actually come into that. What is the difference that. between that and heaven? There is no difference. Okay. Eternal life for the pagans is... Who, for the pagans who are outside, how are they meriting an eternal damnation, which comes from them living out basically Adamic sin? So the, it's more... Yes. What, I want to, what I want to communicate, and what I think Von Balthasar communicate... Well, he, he does it poorly... Like, I don't really like the Dare We Hope book. I think it's very lame. Yeah. But I think it opens the way for you to look at the Greek fathers who are a lot more serious. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our type of legalistic Augustinian, here's the law and here's the Roman law stuff, was not what the Greek fathers thought about. And I I I think that is very true to say that that's not what the gospel was writing. I think that is very true to say. And also the fact that you you proof text Matthew's gospel in which there is obvious rabbinic hyperbole and then obvious in in Matthew 24 to 26 uh hyperbole regarding like it's it's a preterist view of the destruction of Jerusalem and not just these this eternal view of like here's the end of times. It's probably now both. it's both. It's both. It, like there's preterist fulfillment and there's futurist fulfillment as well. Um, using that as proof text for your idea of just a, a two ways of damnation and eternal salvation. Right. All of these things are far more mysterious than we like them like to make them out that's, to be. That's definitely right. Now, also, okay. Now, on the mysterious side, I think You've been you, you do far. You start talking about mystery a lot. You do far worse to go on the side of universalist and then just believe everyone to be saved than you do on the side of people like Newman and Augustine and just think that everyone's going to be damned. So I think at the same time, I I believe Dairy Hope and I think I, I uh, when I say Dairy Hope, it comes with all this baggage of like See, JP, uh, not JP, sorry, of uh, Malthazar and Bishop Barron, which people have a ton of baggage with. But when I say Dairy Hope, I mean, like, 
a theological position I could come behind. It comes with all this baggage. Now, um, I think there are very interesting points to be made there. And I think what I want to introduce is more of, this is more mysterious than we make it out to be. And it shouldn't just be, we just say, there are those who are damned and there are those who are saved See, and everything is clear and, and finished. Like, Think about the mysteries more, pray more, so, like figure it yes. out more. I mean, yes, I agree with that. For me, one thing that keeps coming back is again, like John 17, like Christ's prayer to the father. And why is it that there's, a, I, I think a categorical differentiation between the elect, those who are saved are the ones who, like he speaks, Christ speaks of them being a reward for him, like from the father, like these, right, as a gift. And why is it not just, you know, if it, it truly is the the common, um, just like to, to all humanity, right, that you can, that, why, why is it not just that, oh, all of human all of humanity is um, Christ's reward. It's like, no, it's, it's the elect. There's already a differentiation. And even so far as like, so what is the elect, there's something common to them, but that's also not common to the others. So like, what are you differentiating at, like as common? Because in something it's, it's not common to those. Like, so there's a particular, a oneness to those who are elect yes, yes and those yes. who are not. It's the participation so, in the body of Christ. So it, it, exactly. I mean, so even maybe, maybe it's not, you know, in the, the rabbinic specifically, the, um, the Jewish focus of, uh, of Matthew, but like in John, like, I mean, just when I, like, how is it that, it seems necessary, like in the differentiation of the elect, those who are saved compared to those who are not involving uh, members of humanity, like being either in one of those parties who are either saved or not, um, being the reward from the father to Christ. Uh, insofar as he has to, you know, suffer, you know, suffering for all, but those who, who then accept and um, then in their acceptance, right. Again, there's that extrinsic glory of God and just this, uh, this reward so to be in, in virtue mm -hmm. of him, like in his human nature. Um, it's kind of crazy that it's it, it's it's really insane that God just desires to to have our. Sure on. It, it, it's insane that God desires to have our communion. Yeah. You know, to be with it's us. Beautiful. It's just it's just so it's just so insane. It's Second so Timothy, God desires us, all men to be saved and come to knowledge of him. Yes, and come to knowledge of him. God desires that. It, that just blows me away. Um, I did want to talk about a little bit about the post-liberal society and Ooh. the death penalty in particular in this country. Because we're putting it all through I, in this podcast. I, wanna, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this because this is something that I've had a, a major point of contention with lately where I was initially like, okay, listen, the death penalty is just confirmed by the, the church. You know, you know, yeah. the two sword theory, there's a temporal sword that can legitimately wield authority and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I'm, just, then I was like, I'm just doing like a little like roping you in to other <laughs> theological look, positions. Big brother, I'm little brother, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, trying. I'm talking about Jared Hope, death yeah. penalty into like, you <laughs> no, know, yeah. let's keep pulling Look, I'm, in. I'm a very heavy person by virtue of my fatness. So maybe it's going to be harder to pull me in. I am larger. That's true. Yeah, yeah you can't around <laughs> but, but one of the biggest points of contention that I've had in the past, really a couple of months, is just we live in a post-liberal society. Yeah, we amen. live in America. America has a lot of problems yeah. in its justice I mean, Even Catholics here. live in a post-liberal mindset. That's right. right? They do. So. They do. They really do. And so, they don't know that they do. 
which is That's so scary. Part. Scary. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's very, it's very, it's like it's inoculated like the COVID vaccine. You know, you don't realize that you're getting microchip, but you are. <laughs> so, with that being said, Caleb, <laughs> death penalty, man. About and Oof. and I want you know we're Americans. I yeah. want to particularly, I mean, you know, particularly talk about America. What's yeah, what's the problem? I mean, I'm not super super uh, knowledgeable on, on the issue. However, from what I do know, um. There are definitely like several uh, several issues. Like even just on like in a, a like a secular practical observation, there is the issue of just being the the for one the method administration being highly unethical. Like uh, just the um, like lethal injection. I mean, for one, it's hella expensive. Like talking about like inefficiency of taxpayer money. Like <laughs> I mean, it is so cost like ineffective. And then usually the people who uh, undergo it like uh, often often right they do not die instantly they they have experiential excruciating deaths which is is not um it's not dignified. It's, it's not it's not proper and not dignified yeah exactly um so even from just like a taxpayer like economics perspective and then um like this ex- perspective of the way so so arguably like for one i mean is, this may sound sound cruel but like at, at the same time and in, in the sense that like hanging is way less cruel than what we have currently for uh, lethal injection. So like, um, you know, conditionally, regardless of what you believe, like if you're going to do it, uh, hanging seems way more. I mean, usually almost it's, it's cheap. Rope is cheap. You know, it's not, it's not like $40,000 per lethal injection, you know, then causes them excruciating pain. Usually it's almost instantaneous unless, I don't know, you have a, the neck of a mule or something, but, um, but also the, um, Again, always when talking about the death penalty, uh, the the number one thing that I bring up with people is, I just thought of something. <laughs> yeah, I'll right. bring it up later. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, can it be done in a just manner in America? Well, in particular, period, period, okay. right? Uh, potentially, yes, period. Like that. That's the answer. It's a definitive yes. Like when we see that church, uh, should it be done? Is of course like arguable within within the, the proper context well, that, well, being right. being I mean, America that's, that's or not, and so that's no, where that's where the conversation no gets into. I don't know. That's that's the same. No, Caleb, that's no, the that's same. That's the same boat that I'm in, <laughs> no. which is basically: can it be done ethically in certain situations? Yes, obviously. I mean, yeah. I just that, but that, not that, by that America to today. I, but but that's what it seems to me, at least, not by America today. So that's yeah. and I know that Alex and I are kind of in agreement with that. So I wanted to see what you let's had to go. Say about it. Yeah, it's it, it's something I've had to. Um, the more I think about, the more I I've. Uh, I think uh kind of alleviated my uh, like my, my prior view it is almost more like um can it be done yes like should it be done like arguably like look it can be done so like there are just administration when it happens like it's it follows from the like proper authority of the of the state so this and that but it, it definitely sure as heck ain't the same in the middle ages when the entire yeah. culture was ordered around a, a christian society to where when someone right the heretic burned at the stake, uh, whether you think it's cruel or not, they were legitimately like understood. It was understood by the community. It was understood by the authorities that this person voluntarily, formally, are endangering the souls of um, their, you know, s- surrounding members. And it's not that they, um, you know, right? They it's it's not that they were not given the opportunity to repent. Like they were. But that voluntary, like, no, I recognize, I have knowledge of, like, this is what the church says. However, I choose to reject it. I choose to propagate uh, this contrary proposition, which in my own 
uh, like liberal mindset, which I, I determined to be true by my own authority, that this is the you know proper way to salvation, whatever, whatever heretical theory. Um, and so in that sense, like, yes, this person is undoubtedly a danger to society, even more properly understood, more than a danger to the bodily health, uh, the, the earthly society, but to the heavenly society, uh, something of uh, eternal consideration, right? Um, and thus of like even uh, greater importance than, than the earthly matters. Now, so, so in, in that, like that, that context, it makes, it makes absolute sense. And again, it follows from like, can it be done? Like, yes. However, again, the modern, um, like uh, the, the postmodern situation, which we're living in, like uh, in a liberalist mindset, it's, um, you know, there, there's the, I think I've become more and more convinced by just like, okay, do, is there like a legitimate capacity for the current government to uh, contain um, those individuals who do pose a danger to um, society? Um, arguably, they're not concerned with the, um, like we, we're not living in a Christian society, so they're not no, even. No, they're not. They're not. They're not, they're not concerned. Mediation of the people, and exactly. Like, you know, the, the bringing um, them back to virtue. And faith so, and so truth. that that's not even an issue they're considering. No. So, in that sense, like I, you know, I'm not even thinking about that. But in so far as they pose a, a material, a physical like threat to these people, um, by murder or whatsoever, like that they're um, psychologically unhealthy and just you know some serial court. Uh, killer or some psychotic person it's like that person i it, it does seem that it's like insofar as the uh, there's this infrastructure in which they can be contained and you know at least even attempted at rehabilitation even if like there's no no uh, legitimate achievement from it that that it seems proper to that they that you do that and you, you try and and like arguably there's also a lot of uh inefficient within inefficiency within the current like administration of how um, like a prison system being held. I mean, like, you know, it may, this I guess a whole tangent, but um, just like weed, right? I mean, people getting high, it's, it's, it's almost arguably no different than it being a uh, issue of moral behavior where, the, you know, you choose to engage in that like a degenerate behavior where you just want to, so to speak, free yourself from um, the, uh, so to speak, consideration, or like just the- Worldly pressures and uh, Exactly, worldly pressures of just being a rational creature uh, is kind of how I- how, how I understand, but by that no means is a person just being like wanting to disassociate with reality somehow and in danger to uh, the rest of society, even if it's not good for them and their and their personal virtue. So so they, you know, but these people are the ones who are being federally criminalized, and then all of our resources, um, you know, through through taxpayer money, and uh, you know, yeah, in the prisons are being, you know, like every single instance, like oh, you know, they were selling weed, get them. Uh, thrown a prison and so like our entire infrastructure is being you know there's a lot of uh there's a lot of just it being the resources being to those people and arguably it should just be like some kind of civil offense or like maybe not that should be uh not penalized under the law insofar as it maybe violates the natural law such as you know rescinding your your uh free will and capacity to choose but it's certainly not endangering i don't think um your fellow members i mean Maybe, maybe when it comes to the actual, uh, like black market and uh, selling of that, that entails like a, a violence or somehow. But you know, but then again, if it's legalized, like, but I, I, I do think that, right? Obviously, there's a lot of inefficiencies in the way that the resources are being applied. But especially if you if you take an idealistic perspective and the way that it's most ideal that these resources can be applied, and that these individuals who are 
current dangerous society primarily just considered in the, again, the secular materialist sense and not in the supernatural sense. That's not even a matter of con- really consideration just because it's not that. Then, yeah, it's, it seems fitting that they are um, just contained and that, that they're just not, because it's, it's, not, it's not the same as the Middle Ages. It's not that within a Christian context that they're voluntary. You know, these people are you know, often mentally... Um, dealing with like disorders and yeah, all, it doesn't. All these it issues. also so seems it, like it just, yeah. It yeah. Also so seems, I, I, yeah. I've, I've definitely conclusively more uh, have inclined and definitely assent to just that in the proper like modern uh, uh, context, at least within America, that uh, the death penalty doesn't seem like fitting. Right here, here. Yeah, definitely so. agree with that. Well said. Um, another issue, totally off base. <laughs> So all about it. (laughs) (laughs) So just to bring it into a little bit more of a particular aspect, and I don't want to go back to the traditionalist debate, but the liturgy is obviously incredibly important. What do you think is an important aspect of our liturgical worship or maybe even our prayer that gets neglected commonly, but maybe that you have, some sort of insight into that might be really important. Yeah, of course it's going to be going to be again. It's going to be for nineteen seventeen. All right. So this canon law under Pius the tenth, right, actually said that even it, it, it says even if all you can get is a woman, right, uh, understanding at that time where all the li- liturgical office was purely uh, of men, as, as it should be, right. <laughs> Um, it said that even then, a woman, it, it is that a priest should have at very minimum a woman outside of the sanctuary to give the responses in the liturgy and to have that communal aspect. So so it's very interesting. And so that then makes you consider like, oh, okay, it actually does make sense in Vatican II. And, you know, um, the reintroduction of con celebration where, you know, Aquinas talks about it and it, it's not something bad. Like it's within the tradition, it was around – um, 6th to 18th century is, is present in the Western church, but then, you know, was, um, I guess, kind of just moved away from. But, and again, the intention of the Second Vatican Council for specifically to be for religious communities where it's like, okay, if you accept the reform of uh, Mediator Day and Pius XII, where, okay, this person has to have some communal um, participation in which the person like does the responses for them. It'd be like, oh, I have to say mass. Hey, can you do my responses for me? Hey, I have to say mass. Can you do my response? It's like, it, it would be highly inefficient, I guess, in some way. And it's as far as, I mean, I don't exactly fully understand whether like a priest doing the act of mass is somehow it, like, if you have multiple instances of the mass is more efficacious than like the priest, as far as they're an individual that can like meritoriously, you know, as it, uh, merit like through Christ, then bring about the same grace through just one mass and the con celebration. Like I'm not sure how, so to speak, the proportional value of like merit entails, but it makes sense that um, that the con celebration was available like for uh, religious communities, um, and then diocesan communities always considered that they would have those resources where they they would not need to. Like they'd be celebrating mass, they'd have altar servers, like they're always going to have those. Uh, resources available hopefully with just a like a faithful like parish involved but um like again going back to the music the it's so so very interesting and that the the importance of 
music in the liturgy is definitely something like when you look at the liturgical movement, beginning with Pius XII and just like all of his encyclicals on it, just like of how it seems important like to the church that it is. Um, you know, like there was a lot of introduction of folk music into the liturgy and Pius XII was like, okay, getting back at, um, like even, even choir, like even, uh, the singer was a so to speak liturgical office that would be properly, um, like all men, like, Obviously, that's probably a little bit debatable now. Here, here. Like it's, uh, it's it's definitely uh, interesting considering that that maybe the one or just like personally, probably just a result of my like modern situation that I'm inclined to maybe against that. Like okay, the choir you can, uh, you know, allow allow female, female and, and maybe you just right then. But the, the way you would do it is then that it's no longer the liturgical office. So you just have the choir, and it's not that right. like because right. the the choir in that sense properly understood would have been still within the sanctuary right you you have the, yeah. choir, the choir stalls yeah. Yeah. so it, it's kind of a totally different situation yeah uh, a lot considered. of times it would have been religious they would have had professed professed religious vows exactly well. e exactly so but like having understood like pies to 12th the recognizing the importance of music and the liturgy granted an indult for hymns to be sung at low mass and it is that very same indult that is used to this day in which the Novus Ordo now it's like you have your like typical like three hymns at mass and like that's what's sung, you know, using like, you know, whether it's praise and worship or whatever, just like the kind of uh, traditional hymns that like come from the 70s, like one bread, one body, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I mean, I'm still sort of one bread, one, one body, one Lord of all. Anyway, um. And so it's just very interesting, like, whoa, like that's that's kind of crazy. Like at, at low crazy. mass, because like when you start getting that traditional movement and you're like, oh, low mass, low mass is silent one. And it's like, whoa, Pius XII granted indult for like hymns to be sung at low mass, like the importance of music. But even then, like that doesn't somehow get away from what's understood hymns to be secondary right. to the liturgical um, role of music uh singing the liturgy itself and so hymns being secondary to that mm. and it seems like nowadays um the liturgy itself is not what's being uh, well it's like it it is sung you know often so but um that's like that that's really the aim like what the liturgical movement was aiming at i mean at least from what i understand the liturgy liturgical movement referred to as by those who have studied like under the magisterium like from the liturgical institute um which is kind of like this hermeneutic like uh continuity understood between like from Pius X to, to now um and you know now now you have like you know these these protestant hymns and whatnot that are introduced and it's it, you know, just again, going back to like what is set apart, it's like it doesn't seem to be set like set apart. Like this is specifically liturgy. Not that you can like, technically not listen to it in your own time, like, oh, you want to listen to Gregorian chant, but you know that is like solely like in the instruments, the singing, like chant, like where else do you hear chant? Uh, insofar as, I mean, you might have like some kind of like school of concert, but it's, you know, that the even in that concert, like that those hymns were made for the purpose of like glorifying God, like in, in the, yes. in the role of the liturgy. Yes. And it's just, so like these guys, you know, the, uh, you can listen to them, the liturgy guys, right. Um, they have an episode, it's like, um, season, uh, three episode eight or something, but, um, or season four, episode eight. but it's like papal notes when they talk about Pope Francis and 
you know, these guys are the most like pro-Vatican II, most like non-questioning. You know, it's like, oh, there's a new post-conciliar document from the church about implementation or, you know, whether it's like language um, and translations, like in liturgy or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, let's dive into it. Even they, and like, so they're they're not traditionalists whatsoever, but they acknowledge that there is something that went entirely wrong and backwards with the implementation of music in the liturgy. And it's like, mm-hmm. the church figured it out. It's chant. It's universal. It's It's one. It's... You know, even the Eastern church, like if we're actually breathing, as JP2 says, with both lungs of the church, you know, they were even, uh, so to speak, skeptical, like trepidatious as to introduce an instrument in the liturgy at all. And the West introduced the organ, again, for the sole purpose of um, exonerate, you know, insofar as it like kind of. Uh, it, it kind of represents, represents the human, the human vocal, way, human and, voice, and exactly. It represents so, kind of like the lungs of the church. There's yeah. a lot of sim- there's a lot of symbolism yeah. with the organ it, as well. Yeah, and there is the it's issue, kind of like the magnum opus of the it's, musical tradition. And it, it's definitely kind of you know being someone I think more, um, I think I consider myself a little more philosophically minded. And so far as like you know someone, it's like what do you mean by that when you say it, right? My friend of Benedictine, it's like okay, read Musicum Sacrum, right? It's like you understand that within the liturgical humanutic, you know, actually know pies tense on these things and Musicum Sacrum, it's like. Um, hopefully I can articulate it uh, properly, but the the instruments that are used must be uh, like insofar as they're used in the liturgy that they're not, it says that they're not only for, um, only in secular use and uh, like, and by common opinion in seculars so and like that one word difference leaves an ambiguity and so he's like look again if you know all the stuff if you like like the liturgy guys who have studied under the magisterium and you know like oh you know that okay you you will know pies the 12th you you know pies the 10th and all these guys and you understand that that means chant but like if you just observe the the document by itself to be okay only in use j- just that one word difference um, and not right. Okay. Nowadays, just because, you know, whether it's an abuse or not, when you examine purely from an observational perspective, it's like guitars in the liturgy by common opinion, one of the, uh, so to speak, requirements of image people, plenty of Catholics believe it's acceptable. So by common opinion, it meets the requirement. And then only in the liturgy or, or only in secular use, it's like, Oh well, the guitar is also used in It's not exclusively in secular use, right? That one word. If it was just said in secular use, right? Okay, guitars are used in secular music. Bam! So they're not fit for the liturgy. It's that simple. Then it would be that simple. So you just because it's because then you would know it's used in secular uh, environment. So in that sense, it's not holy. It's not set apart. It's not sacred, and then fit for the liturgy. That one word difference. And then again, that just leads you to back to the, like the, where yeah. when you're engaging conversation with people, you have to kind of approach it from a perspective of, okay, look, hey, I'm just I'm considering this, I'm considering that. It's like you have the liturgy guys say this, you have, you know, these charismatic, more charismatic minded uh, priests who say this, and it's unfortunate because there's that ambiguity there that you have some people who say, you know, supposedly faithful under the magisterium studying the liturgy that oh well if you understand the hermeneutic, then you know. But then others who just look at the document by itself and it's like, oh, look, see what the church says. And yeah, you can use that instrument. It's like, it's not exclusive. Um, And it's just that kind of confusion that's just like 
ridiculous. It um, does pose a problem. I mean, yeah. I know that Alex and I coming from a somewhat musical background, you know, both of us have studied classical music and have really come to love classical music. And both of us are pianists, classically cha- trained since our youth. And we both know that there is a intrinsic superiority to certain forms of music over others, not because of the way that it's performed or the played, but simply because of the structure of the music itself. Instrumentation, the form of the music, melodies, etc. There is an intrinsic beauty to something that is fitting to the liturgy that is not fitting to secular use and vice versa. There are certain things which are properly more beautiful in secular use than there are in the liturgy. Those things don't belong in the liturgy. I think there's been a big confusion in the realm of music that is really important. And actually, you know, my fiance and I just finished watching The Sound of Music, which is like three hours long. Dude, I was but... watching it the other night. Oh, like, really? Instead of studying for my final. I was like, Dude, it's so good. I, I just, I'm like, it's so beautiful. It's it is so, so beautiful. It is, it is just so beautiful. Dude, Fraulein Maria? My fiance's name is Maria. Dude. She is Fraulein you're Maria. Like a, you're such a lucky man. Dude, she's awesome. But like, she's but like, amazing. Yeah, but like Fraulein Maria is like the embodiment of what you want. She's virtuous. She is, feminine, you know, she's feminine. Like she's for the Lord. She's passionate. Driven. She is, she's driven. She's an amazing singer. Dude, Judy Whoa. Andrews. Yeah, as like Jordan, Jordan Peterson said, you know, like. like she, awakens she's the, the embodiment of an archetype. Yeah, like <laughs> she awakens the conscience in the man. She does. She makes, yeah. oh, I've been treating my kids Dude, like, Captain Von Trapp is like, bro, I've been, I've been treating <laughs> my kids like they're freaking military brats. And they're my, they're my children, children. and they want their daddy. And I and I'm their dad. Give them daddy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Anyways, that that movie yeah, is incredible. Nothing, it deserves its own podcast. There, honestly, there's but like it's, nothing. It's so good. Yeah, no, exactly. And there's nothing more special when like he then just walks in and then sings with them. Yes. And even just but but later but, on when he sings like yes. Eldevise, like it's like so yes. beautiful, so know? beautiful, dude. The the, the <laughs> music music. Music is the principal. Really music is the principal agent of change in that movie. Edelweiss is the way that that Captain von Trapp ends up changing his mind about Fräulein Maria and about his family initially. Secondarily, when the children are destitute because they're now having to, the Baroness Strada is having to be their mother right and, the, and you know their father says this is going to be your Second new mother and they try to accept it they go and kiss her on the cheeks and whatever and then very next scene you know their their father's telling him like where have you been whatever etc he leaves and then finally they start to sing and they try to cheer themselves up by the same method that Fraulein maria taught them initially which is to sing you know these are a few of my favorite things they sing that song and midway through that song Fraulein Maria joins them because she got she got told by her mother superior, go back. I know you're in love. Go back. You know, climb every mountain, ford every stream. She sings that song to her and she tells Fraulein Maria, go back. Fraulein Maria goes oh. back. By David Hahn last semester. I, I, when I didn't really know him that well. Like he mentioned how, right, he, he's the youngest, so... Um, he essentially mentioned how he missed out on like all these traditions like that his older siblings like had with like within his family. 
And then when they went away, and then just to then like encounter all the traditions within the church, something that extends like so much further, like how much he like missed on, it's like whoa, it yeah it leaves a bitterness at first, and like yeah. that's what you see with a lot of um, right a lot of the you know, traditional list. Um, and it's unfortunate because I mean even just in the Aristotelian sense to where you know the 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 will is necessarily like aimed at the good. And you have the perspective, you know, it's more of about the inferior ordering of goods, right? That you're you're not choosing the supreme good over, right? And that's what incurs like the, uh, and so far as that that's a like deprivation or privation of like the supreme good or the good you ought to choose in that moment, like you choose inferior good. Um, like there is. I thought um, tied into music, <laughs> uh, to music, yeah, sacred liturgy, every mountain, the um, on every stream, dude. That's I mean, wh- what, what a way to go, you know, yeah, sound of music, <clears throat> great movie, uh, great movie, great. I think that's a great place to end the podcast, <laughs> all right, sure. the sound of music, um, music. Is that transcendent experiment in liturgical consciousness and liturgical expression where yeah. we all end up? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. Music, uh, not, yeah, it's true. I know, I know what I was saying now. You know, it's not yeah. it's not podcast. It's music. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> of is. all things, music yeah. does touch the soul in a very unique way. Yeah, like way more unique than us talking about crazy crap. Yeah, it's very intimate. Cheers to you guys. <laughs> Cheers. Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast, Caleb. Absolutely. Seriously. My pleasure. Hopefully. Like, super glad to have you back. Yeah. Ho- hopefully everything saves. Yeah. <laughs> and we can upload it. Yeah. But um, True. cheers to your brother. I'm going to miss you over this summer yeah. and over the, have a good time in the next semester. Have a good time. Dude, dude, dude. Have a good time. Yeah. Have yeah. a good time. I will. Time. Take a ton of pictures. Like a ton of pictures. Yeah. And do. Um, do. when we get back in the spring... We'll hit it hard. Another Kel and Alex show. Number three. Yeah. I'll be here. Dude. He'll be here. I'm excited. I'm married. I look forward to it. All right. That's going to wrap it up for by us. By the time you get back in the spring, wait, when are you getting back? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll get back. And uh, yeah, like I guess. Next semester, spring January, semester. Or, you know, depending if I if I visit maybe for the wedding. You know, uh, Dude. Come back yeah. Time. December 11th is when we're getting married. If you're in Austria, don't come back for the wedding. Understood. Because you need to be in Austria. That's going to wrap it up for us. The Kellen and Alex show with Caleb Ryder. (laughs) (laughs) Co-hosting by by Pablo Dinley. By the... Your brother. The P. Dinley. (laughs) The one and only the Dinley. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for for, for for listening. Cheers. Peace out. Cheers. If there's a Christian religion... And it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show.
sound theology. God could have stopped it. If he Permissive wanted. will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows. God allows you to go on and on. Fair enough. Okay. 